0: Welcome to NITV Radio, Professor Russell. Thank you. We are catching up in the sidelines of uh, your inaugural lecture as Sir John Monash Distinguished Professor, The View from Here, Thinking About Australian History and Its uh, Future. This is a very powerful lecture that I had the pleasure of attending. Congratulations. And uh, can you tell us about the background of uh, this lecture?
1: The inaugural lecture for the... Sir John Monash Distinguished Professorship, um, came about um, earlier this year and I wrote the lecture in light of the referendum results um, just a few days before the lecture was to be given. So it was very much on my mind that the history of Australia, or the future of Australia's history, uh, was something that we might need to consider in the context of the the fact that the referendum for a voice to parliament had not succeeded. I was very keen to think about what we've achieved in the area of Australian history over the last, say, 30 to 40 years, and then maybe look forward and think about how we might expect Australian history to be taught, researched and understood uh, going forward for maybe the next 20 or 30 years.
0: Yeah, because Australia's history, you mentioned in a recent publication, uh, the book with uh, Time to Listen, just before the referendum, uh, exploring uh, how the need for voice has its roots in uh, what anthropologist uh, W.E.H. Stanner called the Great Australian Silence. So it's in line with uh, this uh, reflection, the reflection uh, in this book.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. one of the things we, we wanted to point out in that book was that we felt the voice to Parliament or the request of the Uluru Statement from the Heart was was a very long time in coming and, in fact, we traced its origins back well into the 19th century when, and in fact, maybe even to the very earliest days of the Sydney, the Sydney settlement and that's where we were able to demonstrate that Aboriginal people, both individually and collectively, had been trying to make themselves and their communities understood to the incoming um, government, in that case, uh, when Arthur Phillip arrived. But more recently, um, we've seen numerous opportunities and occasions where Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities have said they want to be both consulted with and understood on important issues that relate to them and their communities. So that's why I thought it was a good way to frame a, a reflection on
0: Australian history. Yeah, because the way Australian history is told uh, in uh, the textbooks is uh, that Australia started in 1770 uh, with uh, Captain Cook's landing and uh, uh, the indigenous side of the story is 65,000 plus years are completely erased or just told in uh, little bits and uh, uh, cherry-picked whatever is needed to be put in. uh,
1: Right, what we what I believe is that the the sixty five thousand years of dynamic Australian history, which includes you know a range of things, people arriving in the continent, um, cultures shifting and changing, the climate and the environment shifting and changing, the sea level um, rising dramatically, you know dingoes arriving, um, Indonesian sailors arriving across the top end of northern Australia, all sorts of really interesting things took place over a very long period of time and yet it gets squeezed into often just one chapter in a textbook, particularly at at schools where they skip over quite quickly that 65,000 years and then head straight into European exploration Um, and in particular the arrival of Captain Cook even though we know that the Dutch were here many hundreds of years before so.
0: Yeah, and uh, there was trade with the Indonesians, and I had the pleasure of actually meeting the sidelines of your lecture, uh, an Indonesian uh, researcher working in your department. Uh, yes. Yeah, who spoke? We spoke very briefly, but he was uh, talking about the connections between um, Indigenous Australians and uh, Indonesians uh, before colonization, uh, relationships are tracing going back thousands of years.
1: Well, certainly hundreds of years, potentially up to 900, maybe even a thousand years um, of at least contact. Uh, the full, fully fledged um, industry, which was based on the beche de Mer or the, the tree pang, which is a, a kind of sea cucumber, that really took off in, in the 1700s and became an established industry involving thousands of people, uh, thousands of men. Um, over over generations coming to northern Australia and fishing for tree pang, creating families, um, familial links, um, close connections with different Aboriginal communities, trading, all sorts of things, trading, you know, um, food substances, trading metal, um, tobacco, and so on.
0: And in your lecture, you mentioned that... Uh some improvements have been made and uh, historians are coming forward and uh, there's more and more uh, uh, a better portrayal of indigenous stories in the last two decades. What made Absolutely. this change uh, happen and uh, how did it come about?
1: One of, one of the things that I was really um, keen to, to promote in my lecture was the importance of seeing the diversity of Indigenous Australians, not just seeing them all as the Aborigines or the natives as what Europeans often referred to them as and I tied that into the promotion of the IATSIS map and one of the things that I think that's come out of that understanding that there is a diverse range of different Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities across Australia is that we've had an emergence of stories that also reflect that diversity. So you now we now hear stories from elders of particular, specific and particular groups, uh, and they're not just stories of a general kind of dreamtime story or general mythologies, which is what they used to be. Now we get stories that are very specific to, say, the Tiwi, or to the Yolngu, or indeed to the Tangarong or, or Jajarong in Victoria.
0: Now, in my view, in the European-centric or Western style of uh, writing history, it appears the role of elders is not always uh, well accounted for. Uh, these stories are usually transmitted uh, through storytelling and uh, oral traditions. Uh, they're not always well captured in uh, Western-centric approaches. How do you see these big and important uh, stories being incorporated in Australia's story, especially considering these stories, might uh, fade away if uh, not um, the knowledge is not passed on appropriately.
1: Well, fortunately, there's a lot of activity in this space where people are recording the stories of elders and communities themselves are making sure that that stories are recorded and and preserved and conserved for the future. Um, The digital The digital age has played a big role in this too because now you can, of course, digitise these stories. Um, You can record them on, you know, basically on your iPhone and we can have them forever and a day. So that's really an important aspect to all of this. What I was also trying to really push is that we need more Indigenous historians. And if universities are going to train historians, we need to put more effort into making sure that Indigenous people also... Are included in those telling of those indigenous stories, and not just—it's not just based on archives, which are always going to be from the European perspective.
0: The archives—that's uh, the elephant in the room in telling uh, indigenous stories. I bumped into actually another uh, PhD candidate who you are actually you're supervising, and she's uh, writing about her, her family history and all that. and yes. there is a. Uh, uh, something reporting on indigenous stories and biographies. Through biographies, we learn a lot. People learn about their families, and uh, uh, just when they're researching on their families, they come across other things that happened around their families and this, the, the, the area where they lived, uh, things that were never told in um, textbooks and uh, history books. And yet, in some states it's extremely hard to access uh, personal uh, state archives and uh, official archives.
1: It is changing. There is a lot of flexibility these days with different archives and certainly the work of the the student you're talking about, that's my, my, um, my, my PhD student and colleague, Jacinta Walsh. And Jacinta's work is demonstrating that we can find an enormous amount in archives Uh, And not just about the specific individuals we might be looking for, but also just more about the context in which they were living, in which they were interacting with the authorities at the time. So it is really important that people do have access to those archives. Of course, we also must maintain privacy. So there's a very fine line. And archives and archivists and librarians around the country are very conscious of the fact that they need to ensure that people are both carefully um, protected going into the archive, but also once in the archive, a researcher, an Indigenous researcher, also needs to have the support of staff because they can and sometimes do uncover things that are very traumatising and distressing.
0: And uh, what does the future hold for us? Uh, how do you see Australia's story being told and uh, incorporating Indigenous stories? Uh, uh, how do you see the situation going
1: forward? As much and all of us was profoundly disappointed by the results of the referendum, I think it is also the vagaries of the referendum system that, that resulted in the no. But nearly 7 million Australians voted yes to a voice. Well, Australians, in, uh, Australian Aboriginal people in Parliament, Indigenous people in Parliament so I feel really kind of buoyed by that because that means people are out there they're willing to listen, they do want to understand more and going forward I think we've got a real opportunity here to improve the communication across all the different groups in Australia so that people do understand what our history consists of not just the last 235 years since the first fleet, but for the last sixty-five thousand years, understand the the environmental way and sustainable way people lived. Understand the the role that they played on country, caring for country. And I think it's crucially important that we don't lose hope and don't lose heart because the future for Australian history is bright. And I think we can really do something special with, as I said in my lecture. Uh, the extraordinary story of an extraordinary continent.
0: Yeah, but the result of the referendum was really shocking because uh, it seemed a very straightforward question, a very simple thing. Uh, things looked good, and then uh, suddenly, just went things went south, and uh, never recovered from there. The role that, of uh,
1: right. yeah, you're absolutely right, and I think for many of us, it was really quite uh, a devastating blow, but. One thing about Aboriginal people is they're resilient. I've just said they were here for 55,000 years. They survived, thrived. Um, They really can... They are resilient and they will rise again. And I have no doubt that lessons will be learned from the experience that we have just gone through with the Voice to Parliament referendum.
0: Well, Professor Lynette Russell, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us on the NITV radio and congratulations again on a very powerful Sir John Monash uh, Distinguished uh, Professor inaugural lecture.
1: Thank you so much, Bertrand, and thank you very much for coming.
0: This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design, the kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite-only.